0: Hey everyone, it's Paul here. In our last episode, we heard a reconstruction story from my friend Rick, who went through a serious period of disillusionment with his faith. He went through a serious period of deconstruction, leading him all the way to the point of becoming suicidal, uh, totally caught up in an existential crisis of meaning. But that wasn't the end of Rick's story. Rick found healing, hope, and restoration and got plugged in to a new Christian community where he's thriving, where he's rediscovered and reconnected with the gifts God's put on the inside of him and he's sharing his gifts with the world around him. In today's episode, we'll meet someone else new, probably someone most of you guys have never met before, maybe some of you are listening in who know this guy. He's my friend Paul Reese. I met Paul through Patreon. Paul actually became a supporter of this podcast last year, and we were having some back and forth, some dialogue there, you know, messaging each other, just getting to know his story. Paul would ask great questions all the time. And a few weeks ago, I decided, hey, you know what, Paul, I'd love to just have a conversation with you and hear more about your journey and what that's looked like. As I talked with him on the phone, it became apparent that Paul had an incredible story, a reconstruction story. And so many of the things that Paul experienced in his 20s as he went through a period of exploring other alternative paths to transcendence and meaning. It became apparent to me that Paul's story is actually the story of many people who have left Church. they've left the Christian story and now they're trying to find a new story to guide their life Paul was one of those people he went through some pretty wild and extreme experiences in his life and I just want to I just want to give you a word before we enter into hearing Paul's story um, this is a longer episode uh, there's really two conversations here that I I almost thought about splitting up into two episodes just due to the length, but I thought, you know what, it's really important that you hear Paul's story, that you hear his journey. Before you get to really the second part of the conversation, we spend quite a bit of time talking about psychedelics and psychedelic drugs because psychedelics were a central part of Paul's life in his 20s. And uh, so many people reach out to me with questions about psychedelics and whether or not it's ethical to take them, whether or not it's wise whether or not a Christian can open themselves up more to God by doing something like taking psilocybin. And so because we get this question all the time, I really wanted to pick Paul's brain about his experiences. I just want to give you a heads up about that. That might be sensitive subject matter for some of you. Um, and I just want you to be aware of it before you go in and listen to it. If you're thinking, I just want to jump right to that part, I really don't want, I I should say I put it like this, I really would encourage you to not just jump right into that part of this conversation, because it's really crucial that you hear Paul's story and the experiences that he has with this, and then the, the full range of his story, the full range of his his struggles and... And the brokenness that he experienced and that he also readily confessed that he contributed to in the world, I think it's so important that you hear that before just jumping into that second part of our conversation where we we really spend some time talking about psychedelics. I also want to give you a heads up that you know some part of Paul's journey and his restoration included some experiences in his life that Charismatics are well familiar with, and Pentecostals are well familiar with. But there might be some of you who have spent time in different church traditions that just might not be familiar with some of these things, and they might seem to you as peculiar or strange, even something as simple as someone, you know, not being in their pew on a Sunday morning and being laid out at the front of a of a sanctuary in worship might come across to you as strange. And uh, I'm not here to debate that, (laughs) but I do want to say that that is a part of normal church experience for millions of Christians around the world. And if you're in a church or denomination that that's not normal, that doesn't make you wrong in any way, shape, or form. And I I just want you to hear that, and we'll kind of explain. I'll give some explanation as to why you shouldn't feel bad about that why you should, um, you know, you don't need to accept that, but you also, I would encourage you to be open to the possibility that there are different streams within the Christian tradition that could actually be of benefit if we can take the time and humility to learn from them. And so there could be some beneficial things for some of you in charismatic and Pentecostal streams that you haven't experienced before, which might be a benefit. There's also some, I can speak from firsthand experience, And you also heard Rick's story last week. There's also some things that can be really damaging in those settings, too. But that's the case everywhere you go. So, anyways, without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's Reconstruction story with Paul Reese. Well, Paul, it's great to be joined by you today. We had uh, some initial conversation. Boy, it was probably, what, maybe... Four or five weeks ago, we first had a phone conversation, and I'm so thankful you've been a supporter on Patreon for for quite some time, and we started sparking up some message discussion. And then uh, after a phone conversation and hearing your story, I was blown away by it. And I'm really excited to have you here today because I get questions from so many people about issues that you've actually experienced in your life. And I thought it'd be tremendously valuable to have your reconstruction story on here. So thanks for being here, man.
1: Yeah, it's an honor and uh, a joy and really timely. I feel as though um, God's timing is perfect in all things. And for me to be able to be vulnerable and to introduce this topic for people to hear when I've never done it um, after 43 years of life, uh, looking forward to um, seeing what happens, and I just pray that God uses the message to affect people's hearts, their souls, and I hope that they respond. So,
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being open to do it. Some of the stuff won't obviously be easy to talk about, and especially if you've not really shared some of these things publicly before. It's an honor to have you be able to share these things. Well, let's maybe start by giving people a little picture into your childhood and what that childhood was like, both just, you know, on a personal and family level, but also, uh, you know, on the, on the, on the faith side, um, what, what tradition or stream, I mean, you grew up as a Christian before you had this journey of deconstruction, which we'll definitely get into, but where, where, what was family life and and church life like for you in your, your childhood and those, those early developmental years?
1: Uh, To say that it was an adventure would be an understatement uh, compared to the average life. I've moved 43 times in my life. Uh, I was, I've been very, very blessed. I have the best parents. My mother passed away uh, 10 years ago, but um, growing up, I had the best parents you could ever ask for. They love God. They love people. They adopted, they fostered, they took in strangers. Um, If anyone was hungry, they came over and ate. Um, And the fruit of the Spirit uh, was very uh, apparent in their life, very, very apparent. And um, I just feel incredibly blessed to have been raised by them. Um, So an interesting thing is my dad was in the Air Force. He was a recruiter, and he was also a drill instructor. And um, so he was really good at recruiting. So sometimes we would move two to three times during a year, and every time that we would move, we would try new churches out. So... I tried hundreds of churches uh, growing up because we would try different churches every time that we moved, and the ones that he chose were usually uh, non-denominational. We usually had to have the foundation of "for grace are you saved through faith, not of works." You know, that was the foundation he was looking for. Um, but I would say the majority of them uh, were Baptists, and you know, there were we didn't have TV growing up, uh, which is very unique, and I feel blessed now to have experienced that. At the time, I didn't feel so blessed. That was a thing, though.
0: (laughs) That was definitely a thing in the 80s and 90s. I knew kids and uh, had friends in our church growing up, and it wasn't Baptist, but um, it was this weird combination of charismatic culture, but also the founding pastors had grown up in a Southern Baptist denomination. And there were people in our church that that were wearing the Kill Your TV t-shirts and no TVs in the house. so yeah yeah you know for a lot of people that's strange, but I get that I get that. So you see that you see that actually as a, a bit of a blessing
1: Yes, I do because um, I was able to see later in life how people are programmed through television and controlled and was able to make uh, have more freedom in my choices and how I interacted with reality through that. and also just blessed to have just read. Uh, I grew up and I'd read like two or three books a day and I just loved reading. It was like an escape into these different realities. And, um, my mom encouraged it. My dad did. And uh, it was great.
0: That is great. So, you know, when you say Baptist, um, what were, you know, can you, can you pinpoint maybe some of the, you've, you moved around a whole bunch, but were there any common threads in your church experience?
1: Um, yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that my dad, he, um, I would would say he's a cessationist um, King James Version guy. And, uh, you know, I think there were three different books in our house. There was the Bible, the concordance, and um, forget the Charles Spurgeon book, but it was thick. And and that was what we were raised in. We had devotions every day. My dad prayed with us every day. Uh, We had to memorize chapters of the Bible and quote them. Um, And so... You know, at, at that time, my perspective on it now was so much different than whenever you're eight or seven or 12, you know. Right, right. Um, I feel very grateful for it now. I and mean, my dad told me he was preaching to me in my mother's womb, you know. So um, I do feel very blessed to have experienced that as far as um, the Baptist uh, kind of tradition. Uh, what I will say about my dad is he is a cessationist, but in every church, he is the only person saying amen. And he's saying it the (laughs) loudest. And, um, every time this was a very, uh, harsh, um, reality that we had to experience. But anytime we would go to a new church, um, my dad would raise his hand at the beginning and he said, hello, brother, my family and I would like to bless your congregation today. And we're going to sing y'all a hymn a cappella from the church. And there's seven of us. He would march us up to the front of the church and we would all be fighting to get because to get behind the uh, pulpit so no one could see us. And if, if I can say one thing is my family does not have the ability to sing. Like we completely <laughs> lack the ability to sing. Now it so wasn't much not, of a blessing, yeah. huh? Yeah, they sing with a joyful spirit and my dad, <laughs> it, but that's always the, no, the
0: polite way of putting that somebody can't sing, they sing with a joyful spirit.
1: Yes. And so Um, you know, he was, he's probably the most charismatic cessationist that you could meet as far as the the amount of joy that he had for God, the amount of joy my mother had for God, you know, um, and just that my mom always had this smile on her face, like nonstop. She just loved people. And at her funeral, people came up to me and, uh, hundreds of people came to her funeral and they told me just stories. of like, I was going through this time in my life. Your mother took me aside and counseled me and um, loved me. And and my mom never told me those stories, like ever. Mm. And she was a servant at heart and loved everyone. And so, um, yeah, I was very blessed to have experienced love that my parents had for God and for us at that age.
0: Okay, so you don't sound like, as you're sharing this stuff, you don't sound like, uh, how do I put this nicely? Maybe the typical person that's had a deconstruction phase in their life so many people that I talk to that have gone through that or in the middle of it, when they talk about their childhood church experience, it seems like they just carry so much hurt. They carry so many wounds about that. And it seems like you've come to the point where you've been able to see the good in that experience in like a really healthy way. How was, it, was it always like that or was that kind of you coming no. around when you rebuilt and (laughs) came out of the backside of that deconstruction
1: journey. No, I guess, you know, in our lives, we can kind of boil things down to certain events. And at the age of 12, which is a very formative age, uh, we were in Texas in a little tiny town outside of San Antonio. And um, we went to a church and that church, uh, my dad, um, we've had long talks about it, but it was a very unhealthy environment. Um pastor out of God complex. Um, there's a lot of hypocrisy. Like every single sermon was hell, fire, and brimstone. Like you're going to burn in hell forever, like repent, or like God can kill you tomorrow. Like, and, 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 you know, I recognize that hell, fire, and brimstone is part of the Bible. You know, if that's part of your message, uh, that's part of the Bible. But every single message, and he had this like really powerful, controlling energy. And um, I just remember very clearly there's Sometimes it's one event, and there are several events like this, but one that stands out in my brain that I can use as an example is um, uh, I got caught looking around in prayer. And um, and then I got spanked by the pastor, who we're also in a homeschool co-op at the time, and he was the leader of the homeschool co-op. So uh, I got spanked by the pastor. I got spanked by my mom. I got spanked by my dad. I was getting spanked like three times for one event. I was like, I was, this doesn't seem fair. Like, just give me one spanking. Um, but at the same time, I was just like, "Wait, that lady who caught me looking around in prayer—why isn't she getting spanked?" Like, like well don't ask. That might have happened spanked? too. <laughs> she had to have seen me, she had to have seen me. And so I started because of the amount of, of fear that I had uh, from the types of sermons and the type of God complex and control this pastor had. And we were kind of under him with a homeschool thing as well. It was just really weird. I think at that point, as a resort to the fear that came up, I started to try to find ways that what he was saying was wrong. And so I tried to find ways that the Bible was wrong. Or started How old were to,
0: you? What? How old were you at that point? Twelve.
1: A Twelve, yeah. And so I tried to um, find ways the Bible was wrong. I tried to find ways that he was wrong. I looked for hypocrisy in the church. I started to look for sin in the lives of the church members who, who claimed to be Christian And it is the easiest thing in the world to do to judge someone. Like, so if you go into any church in the world and you just look for things to judge, you're going to find plenty of them. So I was very quickly able to, in my own mind, uh, start building up a case against God, against religion, against control. But because my dad liked discipline and he liked to be, um, I could never voice that. And so I kind of repressed that and just went through the motions And I remember clearly, like, you know, leading friends to Christ, like saying, you don't know Jesus? Do you want to be in heaven? You know, let's sit down and pray. And I remember clearly saying the prayer, like, in bed, like probably a hundred times, like, Jesus, please save me. Uh, I want to be in heaven with you. And just knowing the words to say, you know. And um, I'm a sinner. I knew everything to say, but I never felt anything change. Like, nothing inside of me changed. And so I, like... To me, I didn't feel like, and since I didn't feel like anything had changed, I it felt like I was just making up stuff. And um, I think that lasted from the age of 12 when I first, that first seed of fear came in around God and that um, unhealthy church environment. Uh, that's when I started to rebel and stop listening. And if I was forced to read the Bible in church and they made me turn, I'd always have it a Song of Solomon or something, you know, just like <laughs> keeping <the> it <distance> Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of uh, that's that was, I would say, the event that um, kind of started my deconstruction. Uh, That's what I would say.
0: So it starts at 12. You're working through this your teenage years. It's probably difficult to just to not be rooted in a place for an extended period of time. Right. A lot of hopping around. um, That's difficult on a kid as is. And then you get an environment that's really you know, the hellfire and brimstone stuff is difficult. It's difficult on children. I mean, it's difficult on adults too, but it's, it's particularly difficult on children that are raised in, in, in that environment. And so you start maybe the beginning of a a bit of spiraling, a bit of, uh, the snowball might be starting to move down the hill and get larger. Did you where did this where did this deconstruction journey take you so you're moving through your teenage years you got some questions maybe a little re- rebellious instinct against the controlling atmosphere against the the doom and gloom theology where where are you by the end of your teenage years and into your uh, early 20s uh
1: whenever i left the house i full on rebelled um but there was, you know, my dad. He he was a leader, and he um, he was a commanding figure as a father. And I remember, one time, my brothers and I have, uh, I have four brothers, but and one of them's adopted. But three of us had gone to a party, and I know I didn't drink one time in high school. Um, and um, <laughs> they found out that we went to the party, and uh, my two brothers had drank alcohol, and I hadn't, and. Um, my, my dad had a like coming to Jesus talk with us and it was really, really intense. And I think I was like 17. My brother, Jason was 18. Dan was 16. And he said, the door swings both ways. Like if y'all do not want to obey the rules that I have, there's the door, go get a job. Um, mm. and I remember my brothers crying, um, and just being, and I, I didn't drink and they did drink. And so I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to apologize because I didn't even know that we were going to the party. Anyway, long story is that they, my parents got mad at me because I was I had a rebellious heart because I wasn't crying and asking for forgiveness. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't even drink. Like, and they're just like crying and saying, I'm sorry. Anyway, but um, at the age of 18, I just, yeah, I full on rebelled. Um, I went to college and uh, had freedom for the first time. And I made every poor decision you could make for the first two years, um, and really just experimented with reality. I partied too much. I, you know, I went to college, but I waited for three weeks to go to my first class because someone told me all of the first three weeks don't matter. I mean, just idiot. Like I took off Why, to why do you think that course. is,
0: though? I'm I'm curious. Like I, this happens to a lot <laughs> of people, but what sparked that in you? I mean, what was it at that point where you're just like, hey? you know, forget it. I'm going to do the prodigal thing here and take my, uh, take the show on the road.
1: I think it's just whenever you are 18 and you've been under a very specific set of controls, um, like a system of control your entire life, you want to find out what the limits are, where the, where the line is. And, um, and you don't have wisdom with, even if you find that line, you still want to go past it. And I think it's a natural part of human nature. To explore that, you see it with children. Right, right. We tell them no and they still want to go, you know. Um, and so that, you know, I think just grows, continues to grow. And so, yeah, I just, I made really uh, poor decisions. And I would say that because of the amount of times that I moved, it made me really, really good with people. and I, was, I could be likable. And partying was like new to me and people liked me. And it was really fun. And like it, it just opened up different parts of myself. And um, and so it, I didn't care about the law. I didn't care about school. I didn't care about relationships. I just cared about me and like exploring like freedom. And so there um, wasn't
0: a particular, like, you know, for some people it might be, you know, a particular question, you know, sometimes I hear from people that have grown up, um, it's questions about like science and faith and then they get to college and they are just having so much cognitive dissonance with the way. Let's say like the story of creation has been explained to them and they brush up against so much cognitive dissonance that they're like i'm gonna bail for other people it's um you know they an experience of suffering right like they they've just seen so much horrific suffering in their life the problem of evil isn't just a philosophical problem for them it's like a real emotional problem and a philosophical problem they can't make the story make sense for you, it doesn't sound like it was necessarily either one of those things. Maybe more so, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just want to pick at this for a little bit. Maybe was it more so the the, the feeling of restriction? Was there maybe an, an oppressiveness that you actually were feeling in your experience of church, uh, a, a constant constriction on you and this impulse in you to go, ah, this this constriction doesn't feel right so I'm gonna push back against that and I'm gonna I'm just gonna see how far I can push this thing is that the case or I, I'm just trying to get it well like what was the root of you know is it just young boys will be boys impulses
1: or no i I completely um believe that like my parents didn't allow me to listen to secular music um and I got in really bad trouble because they found a uh, NWA tape in, <laughs> my, in my pants and in uh, on the top of the shelf in, in the closet and uh, they came home and I lied. I, I said somebody must have put it there like an idiot. and yeah. Anyway, but they didn't let me listen to secular music. We weren't allowed to dance because it could lead to sexual feelings um, and that would be tempting. We, there was a period where whenever we were at that unhealthy church where we weren't allowed to wear shorts above our knee, we couldn't wear take off our shirts, um that kind of thing. so very, and i I found out I love to dance like when I got out, I would just go and just go dance and I would just be that crazy guy just dancing because, so yeah, there is an element to your question that I hadn't considered, and that that is that constriction leads to the desire to release that natural expression, right, right.
0: Okay so you're in your college years you're pushing the limits you're 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 pushing back the walls you felt these sorts of walls closing in on you maybe throughout your childhood the um you know you're you're clearly getting this sense that uh f- following Jesus or uh following the christian story in the world looks like a list of prohibitions on your life and you're pushing back against these where where does that take you you know you're not, you're, you're in your early college years just talk us through a little bit of where where that deconstruction is at this point it's, it doesn't seem like it's so much uh again like an intellectual problem it's really maybe like a, a spiritual formation issue where you had this some maybe really unhealthy facets or pictures of god communicated to you and what it looks like to be a uh, a human in this world right and you're going i don't i don't know i don't know about that stuff i'm going to i'm going to see what else there is out there where does that sort of let's see what else is out there take you
1: um i would say that that didn't take place for me until after my divorce, um, so I got married whenever I was almost 22, and uh, we dated and we got married because she was pregnant. But we both loved each other in the way that uh, two 20 year olds that you know party all the time can love each other that don't know Christ. And are you um, still going
0: to church at all at this point? No, no, nope, just have totally bailed. Um, on. And
1: there, I don't think that this. I wouldn't call this period a deconstruction period. I wasn't trying to deconstruct anything. I was just. I was just trying to just explore life. Um, I would say that um, my daughter coming into the world and then going through the divorce uh, three and a half years later after being married, that was whenever I started the deconstruction process where I started exploring the world's religions, started doing research into um, all the different types of movies and films that talk about God and uh, started searching uh, through psychedelics and weed and um, and really just kind of uh, trying to find an answer for the pain that I had created and caused and was experiencing. And so I would say that, yeah, that for the first um, for the first several years, there was not a deconstruction. It was more just like a complete abandonment and not even a mm-hmm. thought about it. And I'd always been attracted to philosophy, like uh, my friend had started, philosophy club, and I would always go to those like a Socrates cafe where it's just like you ask questions and ask questions and ask questions. And I always loved that. My brain always engaged with that. But um, I didn't, there wasn't a struggle during those initial years uh, of deconstruction. It was more just like an exploration of everything else, more than a deconstruction of what I knew and understood. But I can also say that looking back now, everything that I experienced in life I did not know it then but I ran it through the filter of how I was raised and I could discern if someone was manipulating I could discern if someone truly knew God if someone was fake um, and, be, and as a gift from the way that my parents raised me but I know that now but then I wouldn't have even considered that you know so um, that's pretty interesting
0: so after after the after this divorce period the deconstruction begins the exploration of world religions, the exploration, I mean, you're really, do do you feel like the hurt in you is actually seeking out some healing? You're actually at this point looking, are you, you feel like you're truth seeking or do you feel like you're still just kind of like pushing the limits of what you as an individual can do and handle? Where, where do you say that you're at at this point in, in your journey? I mean would you would you look when you look back on it now right and you're you're dabbling in new age and I want to talk a, a bit about sort of the depths of that and and where where that led you in a moment but when you look back on it now do you feel like no I was really actually hungry for the truth and I had to like I just had to go to the all you can eat buffet of of spirituality (laughs) and like try a bunch of things because I didn't want to go back to anything that you had experienced when you were younger. So you're like, that didn't work. And now I'm at the buffet and I'm like, oh, let's, let's try this. Let's try this. Do you really feel as you look back that you were honestly in, 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 with all genuineness pursuing the truth? Or do you feel as you look back on it that you were, um, this was more maybe a continuation of that sort of, maybe just like hedonism, right? That you were maybe going through in your college years.
1: Yeah, I would say that I was more intentional after my divorce because the things that I dealt with were so severe and so intense. Um, like I legitimately moved out of the town. I had my daughter laying my arm and she was sleeping and <clears throat> uh, without going a huge amount into the story, I was, I had in my heart an intention to kill my best friend because anyway, it was a long story, but my wife and him were together. And I, I'm completely mm-hmm. at fault and we both caused each other a lot of pain, but that was just part of the, the, at that time, what was happening was they, my best friend and my wife were together. Oh. And, um, uh, and so in my arm, I had my daughter and she was, I think like almost three. And I remember just, I was going to go buy a gun. I was going to go to the door. I was just going to shoot him. And he was my, I I love that guy. Like he was a good, good friend. And, and as I was thinking about this and with my daughter in my arm, like the, the love for my daughter, like just barely overpassed the amount of hatred I had for my friend that I wanted to kill him. And so I made a decision. I was like, I have to get out of this town because I'm going to be in jail or in Mexico and never see my daughter again. And um, so, yeah, I made a move, and I think that after that point, um, I used to uh, try to understand how to deal with uh, the anger, the poison, the bitterness, the jealousy, the sadness, the regret, like every negative emotion you could experience for two years, I was in it. Mm. And, um, and that's when I really got heavily into uh, psychedelics. I was eating them uh, sometimes five or six times a week, and I always told myself, don't eat them when my daughter's around. Um, and, but I was, I was really trying to understand, uh, trying to be aware with the situation. And <clears throat> that was, I remember very clearly there was one trip and it was like, I think my ex-wife and I just dropped off. Hey, I dropped Kaylee off with her. And then I went back and I had like a day free and I just ate a bunch of mushrooms. And during that trip, um, and before this trip, uh, my ex-wife had always been the victim like she did this and this and this and like here's a list of reasons why she's the victim and she's wrong and uh in this trip uh they just showed me inside myself and i it, like amplified my manipulation my lies my betrayal my cheating my ego my pride like it just that's all i saw was these horrible things inside of me and it just it, it broke me like i just like fell on the ground and i was just I was just crying, and at that point, I tried to never make Laura the, it was my ex-wife, I never tried to make her the victim again. I'm not sure if I was 100% successful, but I at least saw that I'm not going to make this all about her, and it's her fault, um, and that was a very powerful, powerful experience for me at that time without knowing Christ, and, um, and, uh, and it was also just a start of uh kind of a journey with them to see how I can become more aware of my emotional state or my quote-unquote spiritual state or my you know awareness or my you know what energy am I vibrating in? am I at shame am I at guilt am I at love am I at empathy like all these studying all these different systems of like how I can elevate my consciousness and my awareness and like not project onto people and all this psychological mix with like new age, mixed with like mind monitoring.
0: Yeah. Let's, I want to talk about that a bit, you know, and I, I we're going to come back to the, the psychedelic stuff. Cause I know that's a, a lot of people are going to be listening in for that. And they're like, let's just dive right into that. But too bad. It's going to be a cliffhanger. We're going to have to come back to that because I think <laughs> okay. enough, enough things still in your story here that I, I'm, I'm interested in pulling out and, and sharing with other people. So if I'm hearing you right, like this maybe started in this sort of second phase. If we consider the the first phase, if you're sort of moving away from the church to be your adolescent years and into your college years, the second phase begins after this, this, you know, what is a traumatic incident in someone's life, a divorce and going through that process. And is it fair to say that perhaps the exploration was really about Trying to figure out how to heal the things that were hurting you, um, to maybe get some relief from your own pain and suffering you're experiencing, and you're you're trying to maybe self-medicate and explore. You know, for some people, again, this this journey that sometimes takes them away from the church, takes them away from Christian community, takes them away from the way of Jesus, and has them instead go and explore other things. Again, is sometimes like they just don't have the questions answered in a suitable way others it's pain and grief and sorrow and they just can't find a way to reconcile those things within their christian community that they experienced or within the christian story and for you it seems a bit like those you how old are you at this point maybe you're in your your mid Um, to late 20s so you're you're in your mid to late 20s here you've had this just a really horrific incident man i mean i don't want to bring it back (laughs) you bring it back up but like, you know, the, certainly losing a spouse or a loved one to death is on the list of things that would be really horrific. But losing a spouse and divorce and having your best friend end up being with them, that's that's a lot of hurt for the human heart to try to manage. And is this what you were going through from 25 over the next few years, perhaps a a journey into just kind of what's going to make this hurt go away?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's It truly was a, trying to find an answer for the pain. And for some reason, I could not bring myself to talk to my parents in a way that asked them for prayer or made myself vulnerable to them. It almost like I'd already dismissed their way as the answer as being like not something I wanted to participate in. So I was going to do it through my own will, my own pride, my own experimentation my own psychology and um and also i just want to say like i in beginning this i had no intention of actually talking about my first marriage and the pain that i went through it's not any part of any notes maybe it's helping someone but i don't ever ever want to talk bad about my ex-wife she loves my daughter Mm -hmm. and i'm just i'm just giving you the very very brief points that 100 wrong with many many things in that and i don't want to ever seem like she's the victim or anything like that or not or that i'm the victim i'm sorry um but yeah, I would say that you uh, you are absolutely correct in that I was trying to find an answer for the pain. And um, and I did not want to go to Christianity because I felt like I already knew what it had to offer. And it had to offer judgment because I went through divorce. It had to offer um, judgment for the lifestyles, and I would have to change my entire lifestyle. Like, there were things I was not willing to give up. And... Um, Yeah, so I would would definitely say that's true.
0: So now you're in your mid to late 20s. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your New Age exploration because you got heavy into that, right? I mean, you shared with me, and you're just going to have to refresh my memory and share with people. I mean, there are people paying for consultations with you at some point, right? I mean, you were so deep into um, different avenues of... What might appear to be wisdom maybe there even is some wisdom you picked up along the way where where are you by the time you get to 26
1: 27 28 um i was living in austin i was had four jobs i was a pedicab driver i was pulling people around on my bikes in downtown austin um i was a massage therapist went to lauderstein conway i was making jewelry with reclaimed goods that i found and selling it and I was working as a waiter and bartender at P.F. Chang's and some other places. So very, very busy um, in, in Austin. And uh, I'm trying to think of how, how to answer. The, the hardest thing for me is that what I took pride in was that I never said I was a, a religion. And so even I knew that new age was a religion and I never wanted to say I was new age. I wanted everything that I was doing to be original. I wanted it to be based off experience. Um, Yeah, I was also, uh, that's right before I got into personal training and um, uh, life coaching, which is beginning of kind of what, I went to the first screening of What the Bleep Do We Know? Like when I lived in Santa Monica and watched The Secret probably a hundred times with groups, the movie The Secret. And I was, you know, at at a certain point meeting with clients or paying me hundreds of dollars Sometimes four hundred dollars an hour to write down, you know, their affirmations on a piece of paper, and have to state everything in the positive and the present tense, and um, you have to remove all negatives, and uh, you can't speak from the past or a way that is negative. And, um,
0: so doing what did,
1: that you, is find, what did you find
0: appealing about, um, and maybe give us, like, give people, the New Age is so it's so difficult because there's not like a creedal statement. You know right. for yeah. new age spiritualities, they can be pretty diverse they're these amalgamations of Eastern thought, people getting into mesoamerican spirituality, yeah. all sorts of stuff. It's like a melting pot, but that's it's really interesting I've seen so many people that have grown up in the church um and go through uh, a deconstruction phase and then find new age spiritualities to be immensely attractive. What, why were they attractive to you? What, what would you even say is um, like the new age spiritualities that you were pursuing and what, what did you find attractive about them?
1: Um, like, what was some they- were the
0: practices or the, the beliefs that you were holding at that time?
1: um I, I I was kind of a universalist I would say I, I would say that God is energy or God is everything um and then you know uh, it's like well Africa has this God and Hindu has this God and you know who's to say that Allah isn't the same as Yahweh and who's to say you know and so I had these mixture of world religions um mixed with uh, meditations mixed with you um, Journeys with psychedelics mixed with its, it's actually—it's <laughs> hard for me to actually have a timeline around those things, a coherent timeline in my head because of what I was subjecting myself to. Oh. Um, and it almost like when you eat mushrooms uh, one time, it changes you. When you eat them five days a week, <laughs> your whole and you start doing lucid dreaming and germ, dream journaling and start. Uh, writing down your dreams and the next day they happen exactly as you write, write them down the next day and you start without even knowing it maybe becoming a sorcerer and not even realizing that that's what you're doing and uh, You start manipulating people not even realizing that's what you're doing and it starts to be you know, powerful because people come to you for answers and um, It's very it's a very slippery uh, slope um, that I was on and Um, yeah, I, it's hard for me to put a coherent timeline around, uh, what practices I was engaged in that would fall into new age. I mean, I was doing meditations. I also got super into food. Um, I ate a hundred percent raw vegan diet, uh, for almost two years. I lived off grid with no electricity. And during that time, uh, no radio, no TV. I was just alone with my thoughts, um, And uh, I was actually going kind of crazy, and I was doing sun gazing. So, I mean, any of those things that I've just listed, a new age person would say yes. Like, um, you know, seeking enlightenment, right? I mean, what the the goal you're you're pursuing?
0: Pursuing enlightenment. enlightenment.
1: And I would actually, um, I almost hesitate to say, but I would say that for very small amounts, small periods, I experienced enlightenment. And I think enlightenment is just. A full recognition of the gift that God has given us of free will and the ability to choose to do anything, to have control over your thoughts, to uh, react in whatever way you choose to any situation that comes up. And at that point in my life, I was just doing, you know, um, I was meditating for hours a day, just juicing. Sometimes I didn't eat any. Real food for like 30 days just on liquids. I was literally floating around. My body felt amazing. My skin felt amazing. <laughs> I was having deep insights from the spirit realm. People were paying me hundreds of dollars, and I had been, you know, like a kind of like a very popular uh, trainer for a TV show in LA. And so people were coming to me, and it was, it was, um, it was very, very, very uh, interesting reality. But um, I remember clearly that I was a little. Um, little one-bedroom cabin off Lake nasworthy in San Angelo, Texas. And I had moved from L.A. or left a relationship there, gone through major, major heartbreak, and moved back there. And that's when I went 100% raw vegan and started cleansing and started doing all these things. And then <clears throat> I remember just sitting underneath this pecan tree, and the sun was just shining on me. And, like, I just realized that, like, in that moment, I was like, I can, I can react the rest of my life however I want to anything that comes up like someone could come and steal every single thing that I have and I'm I'm going to be okay like if I don't ever eat again then maybe I'll just slowly die and I'm okay with that like I was just okay with everything like it was I was, at, I was at an artificial peace but I was also what I believe I was doing is I was tapping into the gift that God gives us of the full potential of free will but I wasn't I wasn't saying, thank you, God, now that I understand what this gift is, I'm going to choose what your will is for me because you created me. Right. Instead I was thinking, like how powerful of a creator can I be? How powerful right. of a leader can I be? How much at peace can I be so that people will respect me and look up to me? Um,
0: yeah, I think uh, that's interesting because I, I want to talk, I, I, looking back, I'd love to hear a little bit of where, you, some of the things that you're exploring You'd actually say were, um, were good things. You know, I'm a firm believer, and you've listened to this podcast for a while. We've talked about this on this program quite a bit, right? But there's this really ancient Christian idea, right? A historic Christian idea that we maybe have lost, lost sight of a little bit, and it's the it's the idea that all truth, goodness, and beauty finds its origination in God. So there's no. There's no like there's no two plus two equaling four as a secular truth, right? And two plus two equaling four as a Christian truth. There's no music that like you play an e minor chord and it's you have a satanic e minor chord and then a Christian e minor chord, right? Uh, an experience of beauty, all of it comes from God. And then the real question is whether or not this is Romans one. The question is whether or not we settle for the created thing. Or we continue to see how the beauty, the truth, and the goodness in the created thing is intended to be a signpost to us to continue our pursuit and keep heading towards the Creator. And so I'm curious as you were exploring this stuff, you know, and this is the case for a lot of people. And this is one of the things I wanted to highlight in your story because I think it's helpful for people to see themselves on a journey and sometimes we could reframe this there's a there's a there's a kind of like fundamentalist way we could reframe your story paul right the fundamentalist way is paul left jesus right he backslid and then he rededicated his life to christ and and all the other stuff in between was rubbish and it was all demonic it was all destructive but i'm curious like What were some of the things that you look back on now in this sort of pursuit of enlightenment and you're seeking healing and you're seeking what you're really seeking, what it sounds like to me, if I were to frame this in sort of Christian language, or at least in this case, like the language from like the Eastern Orthodox tradition is you're like really seeking theosis, this union with God. This is the thing your heart is really seeking. And yet you might be feeling a sense of artificial peace, like you said, because you're you're settling for the created thing instead of the creator. So I'm curious, what were some of the things as you look back on it now that you go, yeah, this was actually something I can celebrate as true, good, or beautiful? Um, Even, like, I hear you talk about meditation, and for a lot of Christians, like, the word meditation freaks them out, but then there's also a lot of Christians that have been, like, exploring and even digging into the resources of church history and finding these monastic, like, orthodox Christian monastic traditions that were practicing. Oh, yeah. You know, think of a guy like Brother Lawrence. Many people are familiar with him and the practice the practice of the presence of God and oh, God, being more breath aware. Breath. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. You know, Brennan Manning, um, Brennan Manning used to... Um, lead people through these breathing prayers, right? And on the surface, some people go, oh, that's, you know, that's new age. Now we got new age stuff influencing and infiltrating the church. These are Eastern religions. But my perspective is like, no, no, no. There, If it's good and true and beautiful, mm. it's got its origination and there's yeah. no other source of it. We don't have like a, a com- competitive Demi urge, right? So As you look back, what's like, you know, what's some of the good things that you go, hey, even in this place, though I hadn't come to the right realization of where the good that I'm experiencing comes from, and you weren't pointing to the creator in it, what were some of the things you were experiencing that you go, hey, this is actually like kind of good? Like, I think even just basic things that Christians don't, at least in evangelical circles, um, this is changing a bit, but growing up, man, there was no real talk about. If you start talking about eating healthy, right? Mm-hmm. People were like, "Oh, you're talking new age stuff." It's not not what goes in the
1: man. what comes
0: out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they, yeah. that was what they were calling the like the Whole Foods. They were new age food stores, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were eating organic, it was like, man, this guy. This guy's like one one step away from having crystals in his house. So <laughs> what what do you look yeah. back on? And you go, hey, this was actually there was some good here that God was trying to help me find a healthy way of incorporating into my life
1: yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, and I've actually had the thought a number of times when reading the Bible of how basically new, I'm not saying all of them, but many of the new age beliefs are basically slight perversions of biblical truths. Um, yes. I'll just give some real immediate, <clears throat> simple ones. The concept of karma. Like You're not going to find the word karma in the Bible anywhere, right? It's a very new age. Oh, it's karma. Well, if you read Proverbs, it says if you roll a rock up a hill, it will roll down onto you. If you dig a pit, you'll fall into it. Like. Yeah. That's like the most clear way of like defining totally. karma that you have. I mean, we've called um, it in this podcast, borrowing language
0: from John Walton and Tremper, Tremper Longman III, we've called it the retribution principle, right? We see that in the biblical wisdom literature, like in Proverbs and Psalms. You know, David yeah. is expecting throughout the Psalms for karma to work. He's expecting that, and in, in, in not that karma is a thing in and of itself, separate from God's governance, but what he's looking right. for is like sowing and reaping to work in the world. And he's going, God, like, these evil, wicked people are trying to slay me, but I know that's not how the world works, <laughs> right? And then you get like the sort of monkey wrench in the whole deal in books like Ecclesiastes and Job, which you know, we don't need to dive into, but that's, that's a great insight. You know, you, you're pursuing that and it's been named differently. It might be a slight deviation or even a perversion because it leads you to some other source, but. And another one is meditation.
1: I I fully understand um, when Christians are against meditation, but if they were to truly, um, it says meditate on my law, it says be still and know that I am God. Like there could not be a clearer example of what meditation could possibly be than to be still and know that he is God. Like I, there's, uh, the relationship I was in in LA, they are super into TM, which is Transcendental Meditation, and you have to pay a guru $5,000, <laughs> and then they give you a mantra, and it's your specific mantra, and then you repeat this thing with breath, and then all of a sudden you're enlightened, but then you also get movie roles because you're channeling spirit, and, um, <laughs> serenity now right yeah and so um, it's, it's be still and know that I am God like okay maybe if you don't want to call it meditation you don't have to but if you're being still and knowing he is God you're, you're basically meditating which is sitting there and I believe that God breathed into Adam the breath of life Like, I mean to not to avoid that and like to say that's like anything to do with New Age's breath is like he breathed into Adam the breath of life I believe that every single breath that we have, um, almost like that monk that you were talking about, um, there's a book where they're like written 200 years apart. It was two a monk and another, uh, I think it was a pastor or something like that. But they both made an intention with every breath to try to remain as intimate with God as possible. And they actually go into how when you breathe, it's And so with every breath, you realize that it is a blessing from God. Like every breath can be a prayer. It can be Mm -hmm. thank you, God, so much for this life that you've given me because I can lay down tonight and I do not have to try to breathe. I can, I'm going to breathe through the whole night. I have to try to raise my arm. I want to raise my arm a hundred times right now. I have to try to do that. If I'm laying asleep at night, I'm not going to do that. Um, So to not have to breathe and for that gift to be a gift from God and you to be aware of it, every single breath can be, a, a true blessing in a prayer. And with every breath, I think you can invite healing into your life. You can d- invite destruction um, with every single breath. Um, like if you notice people that breathe really shallow and they carry a lot of anxiety, if you just say, hey, just fill up your belly. I used to teach breathing exercises all the time. And you know- it works. Yeah, they absolutely work. Yeah, totally I, work. I mean, outside classes and people would come in stress and be like, okay, go like this. Yeah. Do that for thirty seconds, then all of a sudden your body's flooded with oxygen, and you're like, "Whoa! I don't have any stress, and I feel great." It's like slow down. that
0: that amygdala hijacking your brain and your prefrontal cortex has more control over your thoughts now, and
1: it gets slippery to me when you know obviously whenever you're like, "Okay, let's do this uh, salutation," which. If I am teaching you correctly from the tradition, it's bowing down to a God. And if I intentionally know that as an instructor, and I'm leading these people who do not know that, and I am channeling a specific type of spirit into that, then I believe that is sinful, and that is not of God, and it's demonic. But if I'm yeah. showing them how to breathe, to like maybe they need to learn how to hold their breath. You can go from holding your breath for a minute and 30 seconds, or 40 seconds on average. Within five minutes, you can hold it for three or four minutes if you know how to do breathing exercises, which... It'd be immensely helpful if you're in a life or death situation, you're having to extend the amount if you're underwater or something, you know? So, like, just being able to use breath in different ways. Like, if I'm lifting weights or if I'm doing exercises, I just coincide my breath with the movement. As a trainer, I learned that it's like, you know, every movement that I do, if you hold your breath, you're not as strong. So, there's things to learn about breathing, but it's whenever there's a spirit attached to that information and knowledge, I believe that's what makes it demonic. See, I think—I'm
0: sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I think one of the attractions to all, all of this is that people that have grown up in the sort of—and um, this, isn't, this isn't picking up. My, like, I, I'm an evangelical. I still consider myself an evangelical. But people that have grown up in the evangelicalism of the last few decades— have m- may have actually secretly been experiencing more Gnostic theology than they knew. And what I mean by that is that the, the Gnostics believed in the inherent inferiority of matter, right? The mat- material world was the creation of a demiurge, of a lesser God. And there's some connections here to Platonic thought, um, and we can't unpack it all now. But the material world, including our bodies, was something that was inherently broken and sinful, right? And so, for the the Gnostic heresy, the goal of the Christian life was to actually escape the body. And suddenly there, there's a lot of that stuff that's actually taught. It's No one claims they're teaching Gnosticism, but people grow up. And I remember having these discussions with other kids and it'd be like, well, if the goal of all of life is just to go to heaven, and by heaven we meant some sort of like disembodied spiritual paradise, Right we, we are, we're the goal is to escape here and go there like we'd have I remember having questions as like a fifth grader when you talk about this in Sunday school I'd be like well why didn't god just make us in heaven you know and why should i exercise you know and why should i care about the world or the environment even and we see a lot of these behaviors manifested in christians who don't care about the planet they don't care about their bodies they don't care about the material world and you throw it in with some like and i i don't want to offend anybody that like holds to you know maybe rapture theology they love the left behind books but i'd say for most of christian history christians did not believe that and i would add there's a dangerous element in that when you mix it in with this sort of gnostic theology where it's like the goal is to escape the body to escape the material world to get out of here then you throw in well god's actually going to pull some of us out of here <laughs> and leave the rest to deal with the sort of hellhole when you mix all those things together it's actually really hard for people to make sense of their real daily embodied lives in the physical world and i see a lot of attraction for people and maybe you didn't even know this at the time but you know i see a lot of attraction for people that tap into this stuff and they they start seeing they go to a breathing class right and all of a sudden like something that I actually think is a deep Christian, there's there's, there's only one category of truth, but I hope you understand what I mean when I say a Christian truth, when I say it's, it's biblically affirmed, the unity of all of creation, material and spirit. And they go and they sit in a class like that and they're be, being told to be really attentive to their body and that their body matters and what they put into it matters. And they go, in an innate sense, they go, "Man, this is true, right?" And they keep going and they follow that truth because that was probably a truth that was maybe missing from the version of Christianity that they heard growing up. and so I just I, th- I just think it's so interesting that you're you're like actually exploring this stuff and in a weird way, kind of like God and His grace to you is actually revealing stuff to you that you'll later be able to incorporate into your journey with Jesus. And I want to talk a bit about that. I want to shift gears if that's all right, Paul. And, and get yeah. into how what brought you back to um, or maybe not even back. I, I I'd be curious to hear how you frame it. I'll just put it like this what what changed your trajectory from living in that story in the sort of like new age do it yourself spiritualism into now going and going i actually accept this this story of reality in the christian picture of reality and i'm actually giving myself to following this way of jesus in the world how did you get there
1: um so i <clears throat> that- point in my life what I based everything off of was experience like if my real life experience showed me something was true then I believed it if I just read it somewhere or someone was telling, telling me about it and I hadn't experienced it then it wasn't true and so at this point in my life I was dealing with um major heartbreakers when I was off grid uh no electricity I was dream journaling um so when I'd go to sleep nine times out of ten I could take control of my dreams and do whatever I wanted in my dreams go anywhere I wanted Um, and, uh, and so, uh, after about a year of this, maybe a little bit more, there were two nights, um, I went to sleep and in my dream, I was, uh, I just took off and I was flying and I went to the top of these mountains and these, uh, two really dark clouds that were much bigger than me just came and hovered next to me and they they just were like taunting me. They're like, Hey, why don't you're really powerful, aren't you? Why don't you come in and play with us over here? And I could just tell that it was almost like a black, like a demonic black hole. And like, if I went and played with them, like they were taunting me to do to test my own power, that they would kill me in the dream, whatever that represented in life, I don't know, but they would kill me. And and so I just kept on trying to go somewhere else in my dream, and then I would wake up and I'd go back. And for two nights, those two dark, energetic, demonic forces were in my dream no matter what I did in my dream, while I had control, lucid dreaming, they were haunting me. And I like it was the first time in my entire life that I had started to lose control of my thought, my thought oh. process. Like I was like, okay, I, I'm starting to feel crazy. I'm haven't slept in two days. I, I'm getting attacked spiritually, and I am no longer in control. And my friend um, is drug use still a
0: regular heritage. part of your life? Was drug use still? Yeah, I was was eating psychedelics
1: uh, at that point. Um, Not as often, but still occasionally. And uh, picking small little puffs of marijuana every once in a while. But just the diet I was on, I just felt so good all the time that I didn't really have to do any of that anymore. Um, But uh, he came over and he prayed with me. And in the prayer uh, he did spiritual warfare and uh, these demons started naming themselves and coming out of me and I was like shocked me and as each one of them left me i started feeling what that demon had manifested in my life and seeing that stream just leave me and when he was through with the prayer i just felt this peace you know and i just slept so good but i didn't accept christ that night and so The next day, I was just battling. I was like, man, I can't deny. If I'm basing truth off experience, he came over. He called on the name of Yeshua, on the name of Jesus, and said, demons leave. I I felt these demons leave me, and I felt peace after he prayed. I was like, I can't deny that the power of Jesus' name in that situation had power over that spirit realm, and I have peace that I've been searching for. And so I probably battled with that. I was like, so how do I, if I'm against, you know, this structured religious Christianity, how do I accept Jesus if am I accepting all that structure and religion and closed-mindedness? Cause I was like mm. super free. <laughs> I mean, I was like beyond free. I didn't have any, there's no barriers of like in my thought, there was not a barrier. It wasn't like a line. And, uh, and so I just literally got on my face and I, I, for two hours, I just called out to God and I said, God, you created me, you created this universe. Like I give my life to you, like use me. Like I need this to be the realest thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. Jesus, if you're God's son, I need you to show me, I need you. And like, I, I repented of all the sins in my life and I just like gave my life to God. And I, I just had this immense amount of peace just come into my life. And, um, and it was, it was really, really beautiful. Um, but it was, the, the, I would say now looking back that I, when you give your life to Christ, you know, I gave my life to Christ, I was 30, about 30, and uh, I was an infant at the age of 30 with, in, in relationship to my relationship or, or in relation to, you know, um, my newfound salvation and, and peace with God. And, um, it was so hard for me to read the Bible um, because I had trained my brain to find ways that it was wrong. And so I started trying to force myself to read the Bible. And I'd be like, oh, man, it's... it's ah. and I would just go to like the parts that were acceptable. I'd like, only read Jesus's words, not any of Paul's words. I would only like <laughs> stick to, like Proverbs. I'm like, yeah, this is good. And then I'd go into like Genesis and like X, I was like, ah, like what's going on? You know, it didn't like, because my old self was like, had all this stuff that I'd studied and experienced that was like combating what I was reading. And so I would say that I did not make it a habit of reading the Bible and praying that God would make his word living. And I started to rely on the experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, And if anyone has been down the same journey that I have, if you don't have a foundation in the word and you don't have a congregation or brothers and sisters to hold you accountable, and all you're relying on is the Holy Spirit, very, very quickly, you can make whatever you want to become what the Holy Spirit is leading you into. And I find I, I found that I, um, for several years, uh, would continue in a sin, and I would get convicted, and then I would quit it, and then... And then I would get back right with God, but then it, all of a sudden, like because I wasn't grounded in the word and I wasn't a part of a body that people that could hold me accountable and elders with wisdom, I was kind of still on my own. And at that time also I had stepped like immediately upon like giving my life to Christ, like the most for the next probably six or seven years, the most intense spiritual warfare of every single kind that you could imagine took place in my life. Like, like and I experienced people going crazy, uh, people with legions of demons, killings, um, just like the craziest stuff. And then I think that going to the upper room probably several years after I gave my life to Christ uh, was the first church experience I had that uh, felt real to me. Um, That was in Dallas. And I remember going through the doors and it was at their old building. And as soon as I walked through the doors, I, I just tears just start pouring down my face, and they had just started worship. And, so, you're in a
0: for people that don't know, you're in, a, you're in a really charismatic stream at this point. Uh, yeah, that,
1: um, yes, uh, I would say that, yeah, but I wasn't really going to church. I would go to church sometimes, and I, I remember going to my, my dad and I started to have good talks. I remember going because he's still being like this tiny Texas town and this, you know, First Baptist Church, King James version. I would go there, and there'd be like 15 people. And this guy is just passionately preaching and like half the audience is falling asleep. And, so <laughs> boy. and I'm just like, this guy's talking about the God of the universe, the God that created this heavens and the earth and our breath and our bodies. Like, why aren't people awake? Why aren't people listening? Like, like if we're talking about God, like how is this so dead? Why is it that I cannot wait to get through a hymn uh, 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 like how many verses does this have? Like no joy, no. And, it, and I was like, Dad, do you realize that he was pre- that preacher was preaching as as intensely as he could, and half the church was asleep. Like, what? Like,
0: and you, meanwhile, where, you've been in all these contexts and settings you've just come out of, where people are feeling vibrant and alive, and like, uh... deeply moved by their pursuit of transcendence. And now you're coming back to this as someone that's had this like transformative experience with Christ and you're looking for it and you're going, man, this is like dead and lifeless. That wouldn't yep. be a description of, um, at least the upper room at the time.
1: Right. So there was no. some attraction there. right? <laughs> the first place that I felt like I had, I had found, home. um, and I remember going to a couple other churches and I remember one, my brother and I went to in uh, and it was random. It was like on Easter. And, and the pastor was just like kind of oily snake salesman. Like. <laughs> uh, and I remember he, and I knew his car. He had like a new BMW. And uh, and he said, uh, consider tithing your 401k for heaven. And I was like, oh, <laughs> no. And I, and I just had to experience so much life. And just yeah, yeah, yeah. So much, I'm just like, I'm, I can't even like be in this were, you, and what is, were like, you second guessing at that point were you going like
0: what no what because, I, no
1: no because the, the experience <laughs> i had with god was so powerful that i i could not deny that but how to integrate my experience with god into religion was one of the hardest things i've ever done like how to experience what it felt like when jesus came in and delivered me what it felt like to release demons what it felt like to pray with someone and watch them heal in front of me what it felt like to just cry and cry and just be broken in front of God and thank him for his love and to feel the love returned, like to go into somewhere dead or somewhere that's being manipulated and to try to like pretend like that's what I believe. It was so hard for me. And, um, and so going to the upper room, I remember just going through the door and just tears just started pouring down my eyes and the presence of the Holy spirit was very, very tangible and real. And I just looked around and I mean, It's the only church that I've ever been to. I've been to there. It seemed like the body was unified in its desire to only worship God with every ounce of energy they had, and and they'd start just people. And I remember at that time in the upper room, I'll I'll just be on my face just crying, just crying and crying, just the presence of God and just going and praying with someone. And then sometimes, you know, uh, the pastor would even say you know uh, i feel like the holy spirit is telling me i prepared a message for a week but we're just going to keep on worshiping god and like i'd never seen a pastor override that you know mm-hmm. i've been to like what i would call oh well, i'm going to hesitate to say fake church but i'm just going to be honest and what i would consider a fake church is like almost like they have the holy spirit on tap They're like you want to experience the holy spirit come to the front and then for five minutes you can experience the holy spirit and then go back and now let's do announcements it's like mm-hmm. do you just have them on tap and you're just like pulling down and then everyone that comes forward is going to get that it's like is that how you have control of God right now? I think it's and so it,
0: interesting to hear you hear you share this stuff because you know last people that listened to last week's episode um, with my friend Rick Gutterson, who grew up in a charismatic stream, you know, for him, when he went through his process of reconstruction, church needed to look very different than the, mm. the experiences that he had. Um, it was no longer uh, a satisfying experience for him. In fact, it, he had had too much hurt attached to many of those same experiences, like you're talking about, being in an atmosphere where you know, some people are listening and they don't grow up and they've never experienced a church where people even move out of their seat in any direction Mm -hmm. whatsoever during the service. The idea of someone laying on the ground or having their hands raised is like so foreign to them. Others of us and others of you that listen to this and you come from charismatic and Pentecostal streams, you can totally, totally relate to this. I think it's interesting that you found connection in that, Paul. Like you found a it was seemed like it was really crucial for you to be in a place where you could follow Jesus in a real embodied way too, right? I mean, to have what you're what I hear you saying, like and I don't want to psychoanalyze you <laughs> on the spot, yeah, but but uh you know, you've just had these experiences in your deconstruction phase in your pursuit of transcendence and illumination where you were settling for the created thing above the creator in those things you were getting You're getting experiences of transcendence that lets you stay connected as an embodied person, right? It was a way of seeing your body and the physical world, the world around you. And you've built tiny houses. I know you guys live on property that allows you to explore the world, right? I mean, this is a real value of yours. And I don't think you would have been able to go back to a place that wouldn't let you at least connect your body to your adoration of this Creator, right? I mean, that that seems like for years, like I just couldn't go back. Now, now for other people, like like my friend Rick, I don't know if Rick will ever and and he's he doesn't have um, hurt for all of the charismatic stream, but he might mm-hmm. not find that experience to be helpful to him anymore. And this is like the beautiful thing about the big tent that is the church is that I, I like to think of it sometimes as these are not like sometimes there's different doctrines that are clearly in competition there's different ways people tell the story and you go oh these these two i don't see how they can fit together it's it's obvious that's the case but there's a lot of ways in which it seems like it's a difference but it's actually complementary and i think I, I like to think of it sometimes as being on an assembly line right and your journey with God is like being on an assembly line. And there's some churches that really, really specialize in like teaching the scriptures. And for Mm -hmm. some reason, even though they're really, really good in that, and you think that should make me come alive and I should feel like I can dance, right? They go, no dancing here. And you go, that doesn't make sense. And it could just be, you know, maybe there's transformation needed at that church, right? That could be the case. But it could also be that that church serves as a just one part of the assembly line, right? And you and someone becoming oh, a holistic follower of Jesus. There's a great book I'd recommend to anybody, Streams of Living Water by Richard Foster. I don't know if you've read it before, Paul, but just anybody listening. And, and, and what he highlights is the, the different streams in the Christian tradition where we can see this actually in the life of Jesus. So things like contemplative prayer and the contemplative stream, the charismatic stream, the holiness stream—the people that are like, I need to be set apart, right? And they—they mm-hmm. are—they're gonna live some sort of like Nazarite vow in the present. And it's important, I think, to celebrate those things and to see the value of them. And you really needed that, didn't you? You needed to have this, um, this vibrant experience that allowed you in a real embodied way to express your adoration to God and to be in communion with him in a way that wasn't like sitting with your arms folded or halfway falling asleep on a Sunday morning. Right.
1: Yeah, that's correct. And I'll also say that, um, there were things that came up at the church that I disagreed with. And I think that I've seen a lot of people hurt by the charismatic. And I think that the charismatic is the easiest for the spirit of Jezebel and the new age spirit to infiltrate in and to manipulate and work in the majority of charismatic churches. Um, and for some reason, I felt that there was a... When I was at the Upper Room, I felt that there was a purity there. There was a balance between the people that spoke were in God's Word. They were sharing things that God had revealed to them. I was growing spiritually, and then there was also mixed with worship. Usually, you're just going to get either the Bible presented really well with a really good sermon, or you're going to get worshiped, and it's no good. And then it's, it's like one or the other. Either good worship... And uh, you yeah, know it's um, so. Um, I I know that we are the time. I think we're a little we're a little bit about an hour and fifteen minutes now. Um, I was. Is there a? I would like to actually read if you're okay with it. I would like to. There's one thing I would like to read, and that's to anybody that's listening that has been. Uh, into psychedelics that's pursuing psychedelics that is searching in the spirit realm um and i would just like to read the beginning of psalms 19 and then i would like to convey a message to them are you okay with that
0: yeah let's talk i want to i want to ask some follow-up questions about that i think it's good i want you to share that and then i'll ask you some follow-up questions about that because i know there's people that are listening in that are even um They have no doubts. I mean, not no doubts, but they are firmly planted in a Christian community somewhere. Um, They see the Christian story as the story that guides their life. And they're still really, really curious about whether or not there's different spiritual practices outside of these traditional Christian practices like prayer, um, like singing, like scripture reading, like even, you know, contemplative prayer or meditation. And they're going, well, what about, what about even like, can I consume particular substances that might open me up in a way? So I, I want, I want to give time for that. So yeah, share, share with us what you you felt like you, you, you prepared to, to jump in and share in this conversation.
1: Oh, no. And I also like to honor you as the leader. Um, I was just trying to be conscientious that- I know there was one thing in my heart I wanted to share, and yeah. you're the leader so <laughs> no, i right. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to take the reins away no, from you no, no, because no. you're so good, but I'm trying to... There's one thing God put on my heart to share, and I just wanted to before the time was in to share. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, let's do it now. Um, so, Psalms 19. If you are out there and you are pursuing mushrooms, and you're pursuing DMT and ayahuasca and 2CB and 2CI and LSD, And uh, you are searching the spirit realm for truth, okay? I would like for you to integrate these these verses into your ears and into your soul. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world." And so when you eat psychedelics, you become one with God's creation. Like you feel like you are a part of the leaf. You feel like you're a part of the ground. You understand what it feels like to die and go into the earth and to disappear and to go into the universe. Like you feel your spirit, mind, body, soul feels what it feels like to be one with God's creation. And when you have that experience, it. It feels like you have found God, uh, and so you almost 100 percent of people when they get into this, they will start worshiping nature. And it goes to the Romans one twenty-five mm. that you're talking about, yeah, yeah. where they worship the creation and, or the creator more than worship the creation more than the creator, um, or the creature, or whichever version you use. But uh, I find that everyone that has been involved in that uh, lifestyle and searching for the truth, they end up falling so in love with nature. They don't realize that nature itself is worshiping God. What they're yeah, tapping into is right. that is that nature is literally worshiping God with every ounce of energy that it has, and you are just tapping into nature's worship of its creator, wow. and you're just not seeing God in that. And, um, and so I just want to encourage you that if you're out there and you're on these journeys um, in the, the, the multitude of ways that they can manifest, I want you to truly... If you're, if you're open enough to go to South America to a shaman in the forest and eat ayahuasca and, and trip for 24 hours and throw up and go into all these dimensions and experience the spirit realm, just literally try talking to Jesus. Like, it, it doesn't cost anything. You do have to pay a shaman. Like, literally just talk to God and say, God, like, if you're real, I want to know you. Like, uh, it, whatever is true, I want to know that. Like, I am searching for truth, and if you are the way, the truth, and the life, then I am opening my life to you. I'm opening my mind, my heart, and my soul to you, and I want to know who you are. And I think if you are as open to the other things as you are to God, then your life will change in the most profound ways possible. Hmm. And um, there, there is a, a period, uh, there's a three-year period where the Holy Spirit came and visited me. Um, no, I'm sorry, three-month, I misspoke. Um, three-month period. And it was in Stephenville, Texas. And every day for three months, the Holy Spirit came and visited me in the most intense and beautiful ways. And I clearly remember, like, I couldn't wait to get off work so I could go home and pray. Like, I did not want to do anything else. And even at work, I would just stay in prayer. I'd be praying for people all day. And God broke things off of me during that time period and showed me things in His Word and through revelation through the Holy Spirit that will completely change my life forever. And I very, very clearly remember just all the only desire in my heart was to get on my face in that airstream and say, God, I love you so much. Like, can you please just use me in whatever way you can? Like, whatever you can do in my life, I want you to do that. Like, if I have to go anywhere, if I have to give my life for you. And just to feel God's love for me and to know that I could return that love. And the things that were revealed to me, it, you know, I had the most intense visions I ever had in my life. And I'm not saying that's a guarantee when you're a Christian. Right, I'm just saying that's right. what happened to me. But the things that I felt in that were if you're into the drug world, if you're into psychedelics, if you took the best ecstasy in the world and the best mushrooms in the world at the same time and you watch the sunset with a woman you love, it wouldn't even be a drop in the bucket compared to the experience of intimacy with God. And so what I would say is everything you're searching for in the spirit realm is searching for God, whether you know it or not. And if you can hear my words and just be like, you know what, it's not going to cost me anything. Like let, let if I'm open to exploring, let me explore what Jesus is. Um, and if it's true, it'll prove itself true, you know? Um, but that's really kind of what I wanted to convey as a that's core good. message. Um, and like, to just know that you are loved that deeply, to know that you can love something back that deeply, to know that eternity exists and that God has you on this earth for a temporary period of time. And if we're only here for a blip of time, how important is this blip of time compared to eternity? Like you are created for a reason, for an intention, for a purpose. And this is this is to me more important than all of eternity because it's forever after this. And if this is why God created us in this physical form, like let's start doing it, you know? Um, let's, uh, so yeah, I, I, um, that's really my heart. So that's if you're a helpful, out there
0: the- that's a helpful insight from somebody that's actually gone through it and experienced it, Paul. I get, honestly, it's one of the number one questions I get from people, especially people that are younger than me and men in particular. Um, I get questions about psychedelics all the time. And and this this is in person. This is just people listen to the podcast. I get it all the time because I think one of the things so many people are experiencing is the and we've talked about it quite a bit in this this program in the past, but the 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 sort of disenchanted world of the secular age. The everything feels um imminent as people are pursuing imminent means of of pleasure, they're pursuing imminent, I mean, right in front of you, material experiences of life in a search to really go, I I think this is valuable. It's really, really, and it is valuable, but I think what's happened, this isn't just me talking, I mean, this is like the thesis of Charles Taylor's book, A Secular Age, is that in a secular age, people are still haunted by a sense that there is transcendence worth pursuing. And so one of the questions I get from people are really like what are all of the avenues that are good and healthy for me to pursue transcendence. I think you've just laid out some really practical advice really in yeah. a sense. And the things I've told people, I'll be honest, and I've I've like I had some good discussion with people on twitter about this a few days ago too there's a real absence of theological resources on the subject of psychedelics this is an area yep. that theology is a bit behind on and in fact you know for the most part in western culture in america it's a pretty recent phenomenon you know with with exploration in the 50s and 60s and then harsh Um, government restrictions on it has kind of shut it down for a few decades. But there's kind of been this psychedelic resurgence happening. Everybody knows all the Joe Rogan memes and all that. So the question people get, and I got to be honest, in the absence of like being able to lay out a clear and go, hey, you should read this book on this subject. My... My personal and pastoral advice to people who've been asking me about it has been to stay clear and I've but I've struggled with I, I don't ever want to be the person that says, No, you shouldn't do something without having a why behind it. Right. I think mm-hmm. we've both grown up and a lot of people have grown up and spent time in church atmospheres where all they were told are the list of prohibitions and they don't have any idea why, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I talk to people in our church that maybe they grew up in traditions where they couldn't play cards. They could play cards as long as cards didn't have a face on them, so no jacks or queens or kings Mm -hmm. in the deck, and they Mm -hmm. never were explained why. And that's a silly, absurd example, but it's a microcosm of what people wrestle with when they go, I'm actually really searching for an experience of transcendence. I'm actually searching for meaning and purpose in life. Is this an available resource at my disposal. I don't want to answer that question in any sort of definitive sense here. That's not my point in, in bringing it up. I think it's good, the advice that you've given, because I think what you've laid out is to tell people, here are some practices that we already know The church has had a really long time to figure out spiritual practices that make us more aware of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. We've had a long list of trial and error, and that's maybe one of the reasons why people get upset with the church is it can be slow to adapt to things, but that's the point. You want to be slow in adaptation, right? It's better an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if you're slow to adapt to something, that's okay. You know we we're better off testing something right and the thing i I listened to a good conversation with um with a with a, a scholar recently who's who's done some research in this and uh one of her cautions was that the research that we're seeing now so there's a really famous research from john hops Johns Hopkins University, which showed that people who have had uh psychedelics have had long-term, positive, transformative effects in their life on the same level as people who've had religious experiences. And people that have read that study go, see, right? And my point is to go, well, the church's job is to go, hang on, let's pump the brakes. You know, like maybe this study needs some more exploration before we go and say, yeah, this is something that should be on the approved list of practices. Maybe try something different like, Man, I feel a sense of transcendence. My wiring. I still feel a sense of transcendence singing and worship with people, you mm-hmm. know. And some of the things, and this is one of the reasons why this area has been an interest of um, an area of interest for me, is having a lot of charismatic experiences in my life and being around people. In that, in deep, deep charismatic streams. I mean, like, we're not just talking about the AG church down the road. I mean, we're talking about stuff that, um, you know, I shared, if somebody wants to listen to it. I've shared some of these things in a conversation with Paul Vanderclay before. Deep, crazy things. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that you hear from people who are doing psilocybin, right? Visions and like, And that's one of the things that I I go, all right, what's going on here? Because I've heard people have these sorts of transformative visions, not under the influence of any substance that they've ingested, that we all have this body chemistry. And when we experience a moment of joy, we get a rush of endorphins. I'm not disconnecting it. It's all mediated through our bodies and our minds. Even a moment of prayer that we experience the peace of God, we experience that in our bodies. Because we're embodied people. I'm going on quite a bit here, but all I want to say is just an affirmation of going, all right, well, before we go there, why don't we try some things that the church has said this is this works and it's good without harmful side effects, right? Like there's mm-hmm. no harmful side effect to you going and locking yourself in the in your room tonight and just like opening up your heart and going like. God, I'm here. I'd like to be more aware of your spirit and just opening yourself up to that, sitting in silence. There's no side effect to that. And I think that's the that's the why the wisest advice I could give, and I appreciate the wisdom you're offering is to go. I think what you're searching for is can be experienced in a much better way in these other avenues. I do want to confess that it's hard for some people too. Who have tried those things and they still—I've got a friend and he's a pastor, and he loves the Lord. He's got—he's not someone that's like you know going through a deconstruction phase, and he's just honest. He's like, I have never really experienced a moment of transcendence, like a great, overwhelming awareness of the Holy Spirit in my life, and he's—he just hasn't, and he's tried the things. And I get that. that Some people are frustrated by that, and they have that experience. They go, well, maybe I should try something else. Um, I, I think the best and most wisest advice we can give right at this time is to go, okay, there's a bunch of practices already at our disposal as Christians. Maybe in your particular denomination, right? Like what you grew up in, Paul, like the idea of even getting out of your pew in worship and going someplace to kneel, was like not even a possibility, right? So right. for some people that have grown up with that stuff, and it's like, no, you can't do this, you can't do this, being exposed to other Christian practices is really helpful. And what I might say is like, there could be other things outside of your local church that you haven't explored yet first, right? Start there. <laughs> you know, start there with the things that have been tested and tried in church community before you move on other things. It's like the same thing with your diet, right? What you eat, how you exercise. If I came to you, Paul, I was like, Hey, Paul, like by the end of the year, I want to bench press 300 pounds. And somebody told me that if I put these like electrodes to my chest at night and I just turn those things on and let them run, it's going to work. The wisdom you'd have to offer me would be like, don't do that. How about you get in the weight room and get get on the bench and, you know, put some 45 plates on and, uh, you know, put yourself through like a structured program. And that would be the wiser, the wiser thing to
1: do, right? Correct. Um, Yeah, you covered uh, several things um, that I'd like to touch on. Um, One, I would like to be honest for people who are listening uh, that have engaged in psychedelics or are curious. Uh, of an honest question that I have for God that I have not had an answer to. And the honest question that I have is, I believe God made our bodies with wisdom, um, and I believe that God created nature for us to have a relationship with. So I can go out to a tree, I can pick an orange off the tree. When I eat that orange, I get vitamin C, I get sugar, I get enzymes, um, I get antioxidants Uh, in all those things, my body has receptors and stomach acids and enzymes that deliver that information to my body. And I have enough sugar for my brain to function. So I believe that God created my body to have a relationship with the orange and the orange have benefit for my body. If I go and I eat this pen and I eat, take a tap off and I eat the pen, I'm more than likely going to poop it out. Um, (laughs) And maybe who knows how long it'll take, but I'm not going to get any health benefit from it is because God did not create this pen for, uh, for me to eat. Um, this is a manmade thing that I'm not supposed to eat. And so when I look at something like a mushroom, uh, there's a specific uh, receptor in our bodies, a serotonin receptor, and it allows us to process the psilocybin in a mushroom into psilocin. And the result of that is that you have a deeply intense spiritual experience. Um, And I know that God, when he created that mushroom and God, when he created our bodies, knew that those two things would interact, that receptor and that psilocybin would interact and that that experience would happen. And so for God to create that system and that relationship's ability is a mystery to me. Like why did that? And I, and to say that his creation is a sin, um, in oh, Genesis no, 1, yeah. he, say that. it says, here are the two things in all of my creation that you can't partake in, you know, tree of knowledge of good and evil, a tree of life. Like, don't, don't participate in those. You cannot. And he said, everything else is good. It's like in, in nature. And so there's 800,000 things that grow on this earth from mushrooms to grass to trees that just grow out of the ground. Um, out of those 800,000, there's 5,000 that the majority of the world eats. Um, out of those uh, 5,000, there's 160 things that are psychoactive or hallucinogenic in nature just by themselves. If that's San Pedro, if that's salvia, if that's mushrooms, if that's peyote, if that's like whatever it is. And there are different parts of the world that have them. So there to me, there has to be a reason why they exist. But I also know from personal experience of having friends that I know and love go to the mental institution and be committed and take on demonic spirits and open their portals and their receptors to the spirit realm with no foundation of God or understanding, and just being their minds taken over and their lives completely ruined by psychedelics, that it can be incredibly harmful and incredibly <laughs> destructive. And um, But yeah, there is a question that I wrestle with, and it's I wrestle with it because my barriers – Uh, of thought or that aren't there. I I understand it. Um, I understand I participated in it so many times and, um, I'll, I'll just share an experience. And I mean, what I've had to realize is people have given me different counsel and advice and I have to stand before God one day and I have, I have to say, God, like these are the things I said and did in my life and I'm accountable before you. Um, and so I'll just share an experience that I really haven't ever shared except for with one or two people That was about two years ago. Um, (laughs) I was walking around this ranch, and it was like a uh, kind of mid, early spring, summer morning, and there were literally thousands of mushrooms growing everywhere. Like, they're just coming up everywhere. And sometimes they grow off of uh, cow patties. Sometimes they grow off of wood chips or the bottoms of trees where it's composted. Anyway, um, I picked one up, and I looked at it, and I just synchronized, like, my mind, my my heart, my soul, and I start talking to God. And I just, I I bit off less than a grain worth of it. And I asked myself, did I just sin? Did I, I pick something up off the ground. I put it in my mouth. Did I just sin? And I didn't have any conviction on if I was sinning. And so for something to have been legal for the entire human history, except for in the 70s when they start trying to control people, and they realize that people aren't easy to program whenever they're experiencing these things, so they create this law around them. If you, I even go to India 200 years ago. An Indian kills a deer. They're making deer stew. They get some roots. They get some nettles. They get some mushrooms. They put it in the stew. They're laying under the stars. And they're experiencing God's creation. Like, Are they sinning by hmm. harvesting what God has provided around them? And the mushroom doesn't just have psilocybin. It has antioxidants. It, right, has, right, right. it
0: has a lot of different things. Like Maybe the category, this, though, maybe the category isn't whether or not something is a sin versus whether something is is wise or not. Right? And that's the
1: question. (laughs) Or, yeah, all things are permissible, but not all things are
0: beneficial. Right. So I think about, like, for example, and I I wrestle with this too, because I'm not one to just shut something down just because my cultural experience has been to say no to something. Like, I really want to critically assess this. Even though like my gut reaction as a pastor is to be like, no, I do want to listen to these stories. I think that's a, like, a unique, it's a wonderful question, a thought experience. Imagine you're walking around a hundred years from now and you pick something off the ground and you eat it and it gives you this sort of experience that takes you somewhere. And of course, there's debates as to whether or not it's actually taking us somewhere, or whether all this is just happening in our minds. We can't go through all the different arguments for that right now. But I hear that and I go, well, yeah, I don't, I don't think you would have any reason to come out of that and go, you, you should probably repent because you have done something to harm creation or you've done something to harm your neighbor. You haven't loved God or loved neighbor, your neighbor in that mm-hmm. act, which is all the law and prophets, right? So I hear that. And yet simultaneously, like, you know, I was a history undergrad. And I know these stories, right? You know I've thought about how ancient Mesoamerican civilizations, like the Mayans and Aztecs, they use psychoactive substances, psychedelics and halluc- mm-hmm. um, you know, hallucinogens in the religious ritual. And then you look at, like, for example, you look at some of the religious practices and you look at their gods. they how is it that this was so central to their religious structure? And instead of opening up them up, and I hear people's stories that have done it, and they go, oh, man, I came out of doing, you know, uh, 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 of, of taking a, taking a mushroom, for example, and I left transformed, and I feel like loving the world and loving my enemies and loving my wife and my kids more. It had this profound effect on me. And then I see, like, human sacrifice in the mm-hmm. ancient Mesoamerican world. And then I see, like one of the chief gods, Quetzalcoatl, right? If you guys don't know what Quetzalcoatl is, um, it's a Mesoamerican god. And uh, Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-C-O-A-T-L. So you can Google and do your own digging on that. And he's depicted as a massive serpent and a dragon. Mm-hmm. He's the, you know, in the their narratives, he's the, the Aztec narratives, he's the god of the morning star, Venus, which I just like takes me on this whole rabbit trail of like thinking about what were they tapping into in the symbolism there. And they're seeing people are are people seeing on these trips. Um, something looks like a dragon, a serpent. It's, and this has really distinct imagery for the Christian tradition too. Right. And the ancient Canaanite religion, for example, um, the morning star Venus, right. Venus is the morning star, the God associated with the planet Venus was named Ishtar. And he tried in in the Canaanite religion, in their story, Ishtar tried to take over the throne of the chief God and was banished to the underworld, right? And I just think, what are these cultures and civilizations tapping into here? Um, Is it possible, is one possibility that these psychoactive substances do like you're saying, you said, use, use the word like opened us up like a portal. Mm-hmm. You, you really, it seems, seems like your experience, you go, I think it actually opens people up to this spiritual domain. My, my concern has been, yeah, that it does that, but it's like unfiltered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Is it possible that maybe this hasn't been, and it's been around for a while, you have to think like, somewhere along the way wouldn't a a monk somewhere had tried a mushroom and go hey guys we should we should bring this to the monastery (laughs) you know (laughs) like this would be awesome um maybe not i don't know you know that's that's a question for maybe beyond uh the scope of scholarship to be able to know that but um is it possible that this the wisdom The wise thing to do might be to stay away because it does open you up to a domain that might be totally unfiltered and you get led down this dark into this dark, demonic place instead of what I have heard from people. What the study from Johns Hopkins University shows is that there's many people that have this and they go, I felt like I experienced God and now the fruit of that in my life is I'm loving my neighbor more. I'm actually... um, and yet, there's also these bad trips, right? I just wonder, like, what did those Mesoamerican civilizations tap into, which would lead them to believe they should bring people up on altars and rip their hearts out to appease Quetzalcoatl? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this could go. I mean, we could have this discussion forever, but I, I think I'm, I'm thankful you're you're willing to go a little bit longer here, Paul, in our conversation, oh, yeah, because I I know it's a question it's questions I'm getting from people all the time and having no experience with it firsthand, it's really hard for me to answer um, without personal experience.
1: Yeah, there are a couple of things I'd like to touch on. One um, is the experience with the psychedelic is a guarantee um, and a feeling, quote unquote, or emotion, quote unquote, in your relationship with God is not the same guarantee. And so there's a competition. So if I get on my face and I pray and call out to the Holy Spirit every day for the next year, I can't guarantee that the same feelings I have for that three-month period where it was just joy, tears. I mean, it could just be like, God, are you there? Like David in Psalms, like, where are you? Are you listening to me? Like, maybe that's my experience. But the competition to that is like, every single time that I eat this, I get a deeply spiritual experience that I can learn from that's the competition. And when you have a guaranteed result as a competition to something that isn't as exciting or guaranteed and that takes a lot more work, um, then I see how people who have a dead relationship with God, how it's easy for them to make that decision. Um, yeah. and, um, and I um, would encourage you if you're in that place with that decision and you're like, you know what, I've been trying God and I don't, I don't feel anything. And when I ate a mushroom, it, it broke me and it showed me things and it made me love my wife more, did these positive things. Uh, if, if you really had that experience, get it. there's usually something in your life that is stopping the intimacy with God. Like if you're looking to go outside of God for peace or understanding or growth, there's usually something in your life that's stopping you from connecting in a very real way. Um, and I also believe that God how he has relationships with people mimics how humans have relationships with us. And so at the beginning of a honeymoon stage, or when you're dating, you hold each other's hands for eight hours and talk for 12 hours, but you've been married for 60 years and then you're okay if she's in the other room reading a newspaper and you go visit your friend for a week, you know? And so it's like, sometimes God is going to be there and present. And I believe he delivers who he is in the most loving and beautiful ways. And it's a natural part of growth, I believe, to experience like, is this real? Is God real? Is my experience, for like David in in Psalms, so calling out like God, where are you? Maybe like, we're not I,
0: supposed to shortcut that.
1: Yeah, maybe you're just your roots are having to dig deeper in the ground so you can grow and to search out nutrients. Uh, and um, yeah, there was a, one of my friends had a very good question. She said, "Does it bypass God's natural healing process or God's way of teaching you a lesson? Is that a shortcut?" And I thought it was a very profound question um, because it, it can do that. And I've I've seen uh, people that had dealt with depression majorly and uh, then they ate mushrooms and they felt better. <laughs> and it was like almost like a miracle, but I've seen the exact yeah. same thing happen. In prayer. I just um, heard, uh,
0: I just got pastor reached out to me. I won't say who or where he's from, but pastor reached out to me telling me that he had wrestled with crippling depression and did, I think it was is it ketamine, ketamine yeah. infusions, you know, uh, and, um, it healed him. I mean, it it, it it set him free, you know. And he he's so thankful. Uh, he's not. He's still a pastor, right? I mean, so it's hard. I don't want to wholesale discount the possibility of that. And that's why I think maybe this is a conversation that's in the wisdom domain instead of the sin and righteousness domain. Mm-hmm. And in that mm-hmm. sense, maybe people, maybe this won't be a taboo subject for the church. I think that's really crucial. I hope that's one thing people take away from this conversation, is even when they get done, like, I really hope people would reach out to me and we'll we'll leave links and ways for people to reach out to you too, Paul, to just like go, I totally disagree with you. And here's my reason why. And I think this is a domain where we need to have robust discussion about it. Because I'm telling you, like, the the twenty year old that I meet with that's going, hey, I'm I'm gonna like I'm gonna try this thing and if I just all I have for them is like it's not in the Bible, it's bad. Right. That's not gonna if, it's if not I can speak to that right now because i that twenty year
1: old, yeah. right now, 20 year old uh, if you pursue psychedelics and you do not pursue God, um, what you will do is you will have a bunch of really crazy experiences that completely change how you understand reality. And the place that you will be operating from will be your own pride, your own intellectual understanding, your own awareness and zero amount of God. And that place will leave you in the most desperate need for God's love, God's healing and God's salvation more than anything that you've ever done in your life. So if you're going down that path and just, you might be like, okay, whatever, but three years from now, remember that I said this for, I was in it for 10 years and it left me on the edge of crazy and I did it hundreds of times intentionally. Um, and so anything that is a substitute for a relationship with God is, um, is going to fail you. Um, a hundred percent of the time it's going to leave a hole that only God can fill. And, um, so yeah, if that's uh, that's what I would encourage people to, and I I think that there is there is the possibility of a much much deeper conversation around the subject because if you look at um, you know medication in today's world, if you read the side effects mm-hmm. of medication, and medication's basically I mean it can be sorcery. It's mm-hmm. again using intention, manipulating nature to create a chemical reaction in the body that changes your behavior. Like it it and uh, and so as far ph- pharmacia pharmacopoeia is, uh it's. It's, it can be sorcery. Um, it can be mind control. It can be a lot of things. I'm not saying it's a sin. I'm not saying right, all of right, them. Right. But I'm saying if you're okay with going to the pharmacy and getting something, side effects that are, if your brain is different, that you have bipolar tendencies and seizures and depression that maybe, and you think of a mushroom as bad, then there might be some error in the way that you perceive um, that. And I, I think a deeper discussion around um, a lot of people are doing when these people that are doing clinical trials are often doing microdosing, which is small amounts of it, which um, actually is proven to be very beneficial for PTSD, anxiety, depression. Yeah. yeah. And so if, if we are at this time period, if we're in a framework where it's basically cognitive dissonance because, Oh, it's illegal. And so it's a sin. And oh, there's not a way to see through that argument. And like, if it has, I'll, I'll give you a really good story. my dad, <clears throat> um, went to Colorado right after like a little bit after weed had been uh, legalized. My dad doesn't smoke, doesn't drink. Godly man loves Jesus, loves the Bible. Anyway he was driving home and he said buddy can I can I talk to you for a minute? I said yeah dad he said I was just in Colorado and they've made weed legal here and, and he's like um, and I'm just looking around and there's billboards everywhere, there's signs everywhere, um, people have t-shirts, so it's like it's everywhere and he said um, and he knows that I've done a bunch of research into hemp, into healing properties of plants, and there are certain aspects of that plant that can be very healing for people. And, and uh, and he said, let me tell you something, buddy. If, if I know God made that plant, and if it has things that can benefit people and help them heal, then praise God. He said, but this entire state is worshiping that plant and they're not giving God any of the glory and they're abusing it and worshiping his creation. And, and they're not giving God any glory. And I, I say, like, wow, Dad, that's some, thank you. That's so profound. Yeah. So, oftentimes when people are pursuing psychedelics, they end up worshiping the thing because it's going to give them a life changing experience. And they're actually participating in God's creation. Like, and, and I mean, so it's. It's the same um, way, though. It's the
0: same way going to an NFL football game, though, for a lot of people. Oh. They get a sense yeah. of euphoria. And there is there is good there, right? There's bonding that happens with family members. Um, there's, there is th- really healthy things that we could celebrate as Christians, even healthy charitable competition, people cooperating together for a shared goal. These are all things that we go, that's really, really good. But it's totally an idol, right? I mean, it totally becomes an idol to people. And that is... That's the difference between, um, th- th- I think that's at the core. We, we can have this sort of legalistic list of prohibitions, which is to stay away from this, stay away from this, stay away from this, stay away from this. Or um, we can have thoughtful, nuanced discussion about what, is, what does it mean for something to be good? In mm. What way does this good lead us to the ultimate good, which is God? And I think those are much more nuanced conversations. I'm thankful. I I think we're starting to have one together right now, Paul, that is helpful for people. It's certainly not the end of the conversation on this subject. I think maybe be fun to hear. I'd love to hear from people what questions maybe come in and give you even some more time because I know you're doing some writing about your journey and your experience on this and maybe just to have some conversation with people about this. Cause it's not just about psychedelics or drugs or consumption of alcohol. I have no problem with moderate consumption of alcohol. I see it. It's biblical. They, they did it at the feast of Purim. When Jesus turned the water into wine, the guys said, Hey, this, who saves the best wine for last? They weren't talking about grape juice. They were talking yeah. about the harder stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I have no problem seeing things be a good in and of themselves. I have no problem sitting with my wife and having a glass of wine with her at night, having a, a glass of, of whiskey, not getting out of our minds in any way, shape, or form, still having the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, and yet seeing it as a gift to us, that even in moderation, like, opens up our channels of communication together to be less anxious, to be more open. So I can hear when people—there's probably going to be some rebuttals to people—me me suggesting this, this could be in the category of unwise things— to consume. But I think, um, I'd love to hear from those people and I'd love to have conversation about it because it's actually not just about this. It's attached to the much wider thing that your dad had a penetrating insight on. It's about how can we follow what's good in God's created world without turning it into an idol. So Mm -hmm. Paul, I want to, um, we've, we've, we've had an extensive conversation here together and maybe, um, maybe we will find some time to have a follow-up conversation give some people some opportunity to post some questions to reach out to me and you guys can reach out to me whether that's on twitter you can connect with me on patreon that's actually how paul reese paul reese and i uh, started our first conversation was he became a, a supporter there and i'm thankful for that paul and there's other people like paul that are doing that and we're having some meaningful follow-up conversation about that. So Paul, I mean, is there any, any ways that you could invite people if they had follow-up questions, like maybe even just for you that you, you want to like just connect with them or maybe they hear parts of your story and they just go, Hey, you're like, you're someone I'd like to to hear from your <laughs> insights from more. What would be some best ways for people to connect with you? Yes.
1: Um, so Paul Reese, P-A-U-L-R-I-S-S-E. So I'm on Instagram I'm on Facebook underneath those names. My phone number is 940-577-9002. If you have a question, I believe that God has put it on my heart that I'll open a conversation um, with anyone, and if God can use that conversation and He gets the glory, then call me or text me, Um, and I'll love to have a conversation with you. And I would, um, yeah, I would actually like to continue this conversation. I feel like Um, could be more specific. And I feel like we were learning how to interact and communicate with each other in this process, Paul and your, your manner of communicating is profound. And I've enjoyed your podcast literally more than any other podcast that I've ever listened to. You have an unbiased and um, unique approach to communicating and, um, I try to tell as many of my friends as possible to listen to you. And uh, I, I appreciate the work that you're doing for God. And um, But yeah, I, I really feel that this conversation could go deeper and wider. And um, it's very, very interesting. It's very timely in a world where people are truly searching for truth. And I believe that the true relationship with Jesus is going to start shining through more than ever in the course of human history. And so, um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. And if there's a follow-up, I would love to do it. And um, yeah, praise God. Thanks, Paul. Yep.
0: Wow, well, that was quite the conversation in today's episode, wasn't it? It Covered so much of Paul's life and um, I'm thankful that he was open to share from his experiences. There's so many things to explore and really valuable things. To pull out of the journey that that paul's had with god over the course of his life and i'm really thankful for his openness to talk about a subject that's been pretty taboo in christian circles and i don't know if taboo is good in this regard it's not like when we don't talk about it if we don't talk about it that it just goes away it just becomes a place christian communities churches christian institutions become places to where people don't feel comfortable to bring the conversations and this is something people are talking about they're not sure how to handle psychedelics what they should think about it and this this is only be only going to become a growing conversation in the years to come so I know it's controversial but I thought you know it's worth having it's worth having conversations about this stuff but I'd love to hear from each one of you those of you who listened today, I'd love to hear from you. What have been the things that you found so helpful from hearing in Paul's story? What have been some of the things that maybe you have questions about or disagreements about? And what questions do you have about the role of psychedelics? Not just psychedelics, but what are what are where do we go and how do we figure out what are acceptable spiritual practices? Do we just derive them solely from what we see in the scriptures? Are there things outside of the scriptures? Like, for example, can we get a bigger picture of who God is or maybe a deeper understanding of him from listening to a podcast, right? Well, that's not necessarily found in the scriptures. We could find something comparable maybe to it, but this is why this is such a a nuanced conversation and I hope that as you listen to this podcast and if you're new and you're joining us for the first time I hope that you'll go back and listen to previous episodes and you'll discover that one of my goals with this podcast is to have nuanced thoughtful dialogue and to be charitable in our conversation together even in disagreement so if you have disagreement feel free to reach out to me you can connect to me on twitter or you can connect with me on patreon by becoming a a member of the deep talks patreon community Paul Reese, who we talked to today, this is how I got connected with him, and Paul has been a uh, just really faithful supporter of this podcast. I'm so thankful for him. But there's other people I want to thank, people like Mark Frisbee, Jason Nugent, Luke Hartsock, Tim Kingsbury, and Paul, who have been uh, giving at that Theology 201 level, but you can give at any sort of level that you see fit. If you want to support the work I'm doing and you want to discover a little bit more, about why I'm doing this podcast but some of the other dreams and hopes that I have for not just doing a podcast but also to expand video and other online resources for people so they could get educated in the areas of theology, philosophy, and the intersection of theology with all of our endeavors in life in a way that comes close to some seminary-level conversations and uh, to do that in a way for, for people who may never go to seminary or divinity school may never go to grad school, and maybe you do, but you still like talking about the stuff you're welcome to jump into as well. But I'm hoping to create resources for people that can help them uh, enjoy the sorts of fruitful dialogue that I experienced in my seminary journey. So if you want to become a member of the Deep Talks Patreon community, I encourage you to check out the link in the profile to this description, and uh, you can find out about the tiered reward that happened for different levels of contributions. So thank you. Another way you could support this podcast is by leaving a review on Apple podcasts. It's still the number one place people go to, to discover new podcasts. Even if you listen on Spotify or some other medium, uh, if you'd leave a review over there, it certainly helps people discover this. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you guys for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed these next, uh, these past two weeks of reconstruction stories. I'm gonna come back and revisit these these and um, keep doing periodically reconstruction stories. I'm excited, our next episode, we've got Andy Squires, the singer-songwriter from North Carolina. We've had Andy on before. He's released a couple singles over the, the last month here and is preparing for a new record that is just gonna blow you away. Andy's one of my favorite people, so I hope you'll listen to the next episode when we when it comes out here in the following week. So take care. Thankful for all of you. And until next time, we'll talk again soon.